if you really sit down and think about the story of David and Goliath, it's okay to be honest about the fact that this story is kind of ridiculous. I mean, think, about, think about this story really as a whole. David's a 15, 16-year-old boy, and he's about to take on a trained, skilled giant. A giant who we believe to be 9 feet, 10 inches tall, who has spent his entire life training to be a fighter. A giant who has never lost a battle, a giant who is legendary across the globe for his fighting skills, a giant who is the kind of fighter that everyone shakes in fear at, and David comes at him without an ounce of hesitation. And so it's okay to be a little bit skeptical about the story of David and Goliath. It's okay to hear the story and go, "I, I don't know if I buy it. I don't know if this is really my thing. And I know that that for some of us, the reason we're skeptical about the story of David and Goliath is that for the last two weeks, we've been talking about facing our giants, and you've been fighting your giant for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and you've lost Every single time. And a long time ago, you stopped fighting. And so two weeks ago, when we talked about making the decision to fight, you were like, I'm not me. I stopped making that decision a long time ago. And last week when we talked about changing strategy and we talked about, about trying something different that you've never tried before, you're like, you know, I, I've tried it. I, I did it. I, I've done it all. And so we, we spent the last three weeks talking about slaying Goliath, and the whole time there's some of you in this room who are going, nah, I'm good. What's next? I just live with the giant. It's just there. And I, and I, I have to admit, like, I, I know it. I know it because there are, there are giants in your life that, that some of us are willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll beat that giant, I'll beat that giant, but that giant... It's, it's just the way I am. That's just the way I was made. It's just how life goes. But I want to tell you one more time that it doesn't have to be that I want to tell you that for 40 days, the Israelites cowered in their tents and said, we can't beat Goliath. We don't have a shot. And David stood up and said, we have a shot. Let's take this dude down. I want to tell you that for 40 days, all of Israel was like, nobody beats Goliath. We're in trouble. But David stood up and said, no, we're not. I want to tell you that I stand on this stage, or actually sit on this stage in front of you today, and tell you that whatever your giant is, I can tell you the story of someone who beat your giant. At the very least, I can point you to the God who defeated the giant of death, which overcomes any giant that you're facing in your life right now. So I tell you one more time, you can beat your giant. As ridiculous, as as hokey, as fake as the story of David and Goliath may sound to you, I tell you today, you can defeat this giant. 
Malcolm Gladwell tells the story of Wilma Dirksen, a lady who never wanted to have to defeat the giant that she had to face. But she found herself facing a giant one day when she got a phone call from her daughter. Wilma lived in Manitoba, Canada, and her family only had one car, and she was watching the clock because she knew that in one hour she had to pick her husband up from work. But before she picked her husband up from work, she had to get dinner on the stove, she had to get the house vacuum, she had to get her two younger sons ready to go to get, go get her husband from work, and she had to make sure her daughter got home safely. But her daughter finally finished what she was doing and called, and Wilma realized she didn't have time to go to where her daughter was and get her hus- husband home from work in time. And so she said, honey, Candace... You have money for the bus, right? Candace said yes. And she said, Candace, you're 14 now. You're old enough to ride the bus. And she said, I'll be here when you get home. And so Wilma and her husband waited and waited, far past when they thought the bus should have brought Candace home, far past when a normal person probably would have called the police. And they walked out and they started looking. They walked along the route to where she was and where she had been, where the bus would have taken her and where the bus would have dropped her off. They started contacting friends and friends of friends and they started looking everywhere she went. They started asking the person they knew she was with last and they started asking churches and neighbors and friends and they started forming search parties and suddenly overnight Wilma Dirksen realized that she was now facing the giant of a daughter that she had lost. And for days and days and days, she's now facing the giant of this daughter that she can't find. And as the time goes on, you can imagine the fear and the anxiety as they grow and the giant looms in front of her and the questions go unanswered until seven weeks after the last time she spoke to Candace on the phone, Wilma gets called to the police station and the Manitoba police tell her, Wilma, we found your daughter. And she was murdered. We found her a quarter of a mile from your home, bound and gagged and and killed. And Wilma collapsed in a heap, and she went home. And and as you can imagine, her family surrounded her for days. But but there's this moment that Wilma recalls when, when all of a sudden the family left, and there was a knock on the door. And there was a man she'd never met before, and the man said, I'd like to come in. And the man had a few notebooks in his hand, and he said, about 10 years ago, my, my daughter was killed. And he said, I'd like to tell you what to expect next. And the man started walking the Dirksons through the process, through the process of, of watching your daughter's killer go on trial, of what, then watching his daughter's killer go through a mistrial and another mistrial, and eventually watching his daughter's killer walk away free. And he told her about how his daughter's killer is still walking away free today, and how this, this anger and this rage has overtaken his life, had ruined his marriage, had ruined his health, and had ruined everything about who he was just these few years later. And at the end of this long diatribe where he had gone over the painstaking notes that he had shared late into the night with the Dirksen family, he finally closed his notebook and he said, I just wanted to warn you about what is going to come. And the man Wilma Dirksen had never met closed his notebooks, put them back in his bag, and walked back out of the door. And Wilma Dirksen realized in that moment that she was facing a giant that that man had faced 10 years before. But she realized that she could make a different choice. 
So she didn't have to let the giant defeat her marriage, defeat her health, defeat her life. That she didn't have to let the giant of anger and the giant of, of, of revenge overtake her. She realized that she could, she could fight the giant and win. Because when you face your giant, you decide whether you win or lose. Because the man made it seem to Wilma as if there was no option, but Wilma knew better. Wilma knew there was an option. David knew there was an option. The rest of the Israelites didn't seem to think there was. They thought the only course of action at this point was for someone to go out and be killed and for the Israelites to become slaves for the Philistines forever. But David knew there was a different plan. David knew that David alone could not win. But David knew something different. We find it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David says... To Goliath, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine armies to the bird and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. I have to admit to you that as I was preparing this message, I got really nervous about sounding like a TV preacher. It's one of my great fears in life to sound more like a self-help doctor than to sound like someone who tells you what God says. Because a TV preacher would say, David beat Goliath, and you can weep your giant too. (laughs) But my teeth aren't wide enough to do that. But I want to make sure that we make one thing clear that other people may not. You cannot defeat this giant on your own. You cannot beat this giant by yourself. The giant is bigger than you. It is stronger than you. But there is a God who is willing to fight with you. See, I want to make that clear. Because David had the skills and the training to be an excellent shot with a slingshot. And David knew that there was not many people better in Israel with a sling and a rock than him. And he knew that he had been practicing for years and and warding off bears and lions, but he also knew that he was made by the God who created the universe for this exact moment. He also knew that he was formed out of the dust as the same as the rocks were that he was about to use. And he knew that all of the moments of his life had led up to this very moment to fight this giant. You see, David knew that he was fighting this giant, and he knew why he was fighting this giant. He was fighting this giant to save Israel, because it was God's plan to save Israel. 
and you're fighting this giant to save your marriage. You're fighting this giant to save your, your life. You're fighting this giant to save your family. You're fighting this giant to save your, your town. You're fighting this giant to save your, your career. Whatever you're fighting this giant for, you are fighting a giant who the God of angel armies has come down and said, this is what we have designed for you. And you're saying, God, I'm fighting this giant with you. All, all the last three weeks, we, we've been doing this thing that I just have loved to getting to share with you, uh, of sharing with my friends um, Casey Massey and Stacy Michael. And Casey and Stacy are registered dietitians, and more than that, they are girls who, as teenagers, overcame anorexia to now um, make their mess of a high school eating disorder their message. And they fought through the giant of anorexia, and now they're on the other side doing the best they can to, to help people fight through it. And, and so every week we've talked a little bit about what that means. And so they, they fought through that giant with the help of their family, with the help of, of the God who, who made them. And I, and I asked them one more time for a little bit of insight into, into helping you fight your giants.
thinking strategy. Through looking at it different ways, through, through evaluating why you're fighting the giant in the first place, there are ways and there are changes that we can make to fight this giant. But they said it, and I'll say it again, is that you can't fight this giant alone. You have to fight this giant with the people around you, and you have to fight this giant with the God who created you. Every time I think about fighting a giant with God, I think about Abel. Abel's going to be four next month. He'll tell you all about it. And um, Abel makes a mess. I don't know if you've ever had a toddler, but somehow they always make a mess everywhere they go. And um, Abel is not that good at cleaning up his mess. And what's really interesting is he plays this game where you'll say, hey, Abel, before we go do this, you need to clean up your toys. And he'll look at you and he'll say, but Daddy, could you help me? I'm immune to it. It doesn't, it doesn't work on me. I'm like, no, I didn't make the mess. You did. You dumped all your toys out. And I'll say, but Daddy, I can't do it unless you help me. And it'll try like three or four times. And so finally, eventually, because I just want to move on to whatever we're doing next, I'll say, all right, I'll help. And so I'll get down on the floor with him, and I'll get ready to pick up his toys. But he does this every time, and it's so funny because I catch him all the time. As soon as I put the first toy in the bucket, he'll turn around and start playing. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I'm not putting your toys away for you. And he said, well, Daddy, I can't do it unless you help me. Well, I'm helping, but I'm not doing it for you. And so then I'll kind of, we'll kind of walk through and we, we do this dance every time where, where he has to put away more toys than me and we, we kind of work at it together. And I, and I think for some of us, this is what happens in the past when we've talked about God fighting our battles. Is that we said, you know, I asked God to fight that giant for me, but it didn't work. Like, I asked God to fight the giant of my financial mismanagement, but Last time I went to the store, things were on sale, so I figured he was telling me something. Like, I asked God to help, help me fight my addiction, but uh, I couldn't stop. I asked God to help fix my marriage, but my spouse was still a jerk when I came home late. Like, whatever it is, you know, like, we think that if we just ask God to fight for us, that, that, that everything will be fine. But the reality is, is that God's not going to just magically fix things unless we're willing to fight alongside of him. What happens is people will hear me say things like that, and they'll say, no, 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 God says in the Bible, be still, and the Lord your God will fight for you. And I'll say, yes, I know what you're talking about. It happens in Exodus chapter 14. The, the Israelites are fighting the Egyptians, and God says, be still, the Lord your God will fight for you. And I'll say, but do you know that that's after the Israelites ran away from the Egyptians, crossed the Red Sea, mind you, and did a whole bunch of other stuff, and then had to stand there while the Egyptian army attacked them. I don't think that's exactly what you mean in the same way. You see, the thing about when God fights for you is that usually you're still involved. And so God will fight your giants with you, but it's only when you're willing to go and fight your giants to begin with. And David understands this. David understands this because this is exactly what he does in verse 48. It says, As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. 
Remember, David's wearing no armor. David's wearing no, no shield, no, no chest plate. He's wearing no armor at all. So he's moving quickly and swiftly. Goliath is prepared for a hand-to-hand combat. So he's, he's armored from head to toe and stuff that's going to make him kind of clunky and kind of hard to move quickly, but it's going to make him tough to fight up close. But David doesn't care about that. David runs right at him. But I want to make a point here, and I, and I, I want to make sure that, that we know this. David knew that he was fighting Goliath with God. But how many stones did David pick up? Does anybody remember? Five. You see, David knew that he was in for a fight. And he knew that God's on my side and God's going to take care of this. But I wonder if what happened next even took David by surprise. And I wonder if sometimes what happens is is that we expect God to fight our battles, but we're not really prepared to fight them ourselves. You see, David knew what he was in for. And he knew that it might not work. And he knew that it might be difficult, but that didn't matter. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so there's this part of me that's always just thought, man, David's such a good shot. But David took five stones with him. He didn't take one. He took five. And there are people who tell you that it's, you know, it means this or it means that. And I'm like, he probably took five because he figured he might miss. Or he took five because he thought maybe one wasn't going to be good enough. And he realized that, yes, he's fighting with God on his side, but Goliath is nine feet, ten inches tall. He's a big dude. It might take more than one stone to take him out. But David takes Goliath. And he slings this, and he shoots the stone. And it hits him in the one place that Goliath is exposed. You see, he's covered from shoulders down in armor. And his helmet would have come over his head to right about here, and it would have come down, just like you see in the movies, right right to about here, with like the sideburny-looking things. And he would have had his nose and his eyes and his mouth exposed. And there would have been this little crease right above his forehead where where the helmet stopped. And so out of all of the 9 feet, 10 inches of Goliath, there's about this much area exposed for David to hit. Now, I have no doubt that David's a good shot. And I have no doubt that he'd been practicing for years. But imagine with me as the adrenaline pumps and the fear shoots through you. Imagine with me as the nine-foot, ten-inch giant lumbers towards you, is that the moment when you're most accurate? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe there was something else guiding the flight of that stone as it left the sling. Maybe there was a God who was fighting with David in that moment who said, because you know you're not fighting this alone, because you've acknowledged in front of thousands of people that this is not your fight, your giant will be defeated. 
your giant goes down. You see, what, what we miss oftentimes when we talk about Goliath is the thing that made him unbeatable is the very thing that makes him beatable. You're familiar with the phrase bringing a knife to a gunfight, right? Goliath literally brings a sword to a gunfight. For years, he's been challenging people to hand-to-hand combat. And David goes, I'll just bring a gun. And obviously, it's you know, thousands of years before the gun, but it's the same concept. In 3000 BC, the most deadly weaponry in, in, in a war wasn't the sword fighters who were at the front of the line. It wasn't the cavalry riding on the horses, but it was the archers and the slings in the back. Because they weren't slinging Dennis the Menace marbles, they were slinging giant rocks. And they could get them up to somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 miles an hour. And a rock moving moving at 50 to 60 miles an hour aimed precisely at a man's head could do some damage. And a rock moving at that speed, landing directly in the middle of a forehead, can kill a man. And so Goliath's strength, his ability to have hand-to-hand combat, ends up being the thing that makes him beatable. He wasn't prepared for a gunfight. And so your giant, the thing that makes it a giant, might be the very thing that makes it beatable. The mountain of debt on the desk at your house might be the very thing that drives you to say, you know what? We're signing up for Financial Peace University. You know what? We're getting a plan together. You know what? We're cutting up the credit cards. You know what? We're stopping this today. The health that's been wearing you down for so long is finally the moment where you say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Today's the day we do something about it. The addiction that's drug you down for so long finally takes your family away, finally takes your job away, finally makes you hit rock bottom. That's the moment that that giant, the strength of that giant becomes its weakness because you say, that's it. I'm done. I'm over and done with this. And you make the decision to fight and you change your strategy and you say, I, with the help of God and the people around me, will win this fight The very thing that makes your giant a giant may very well be the very thing that helps you beat that giant. But don't miss this part. Because the giant falls and everyone sees it. And David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. But David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. He cut off his head. He knew he was dead, but he said, you're never coming Once and for all, 
forever, for, for life, for good, this giant is dead. Dead. Defeated. And this is what you are going to do. You've made the decision to fight. You've changed your strategy. And today, you cut the head off your giant. Today, you believe above everything else that you will beat your giant. You choose to believe that because God has created you and because God is fighting through you, that you will beat your giant. And that you will cut the head off your giant. And so maybe you do go home and cut up every single credit card you have and say, we exist on a cash-only system. Maybe you go home and throw out every unhealthy food in your pantry. If you're doing that, drop it by the office. I'll probably eat it. (laughs) Maybe you go first thing tomorrow to the doctor and say, I need to get right, right now. Maybe the first thing you do is is you come to me after the service and you say, listen, I'm not convinced that God would fight with me if I fought because I I don't really think that God's in my life. I need to become a follower of Jesus before I do anything else. And you talk to us about, about getting baptized and about giving your life to Jesus. That's what I want to ask you to do here in these next few minutes. You see, we're going to play a song Justin's going Justin's to gonna play some music, and we have, we have communion set up for you in the front and the back. And, and, and you have an opportunity to celebrate what we call the ultimate beating of a giant. And in the ultimate defeat of the giant, Jesus Christ came to earth. And when Jesus Christ came to earth, he defeated the giant of death for each of us by dying on a cross. But then what I want you to do is something a little bit unique. I want you to do this even if you haven't been here, even if you haven't come every other day. I want you to come up here and get a Sharpie. And I want you to write on your giant. Every week we've asked you to write on your giant. The first week you wrote what your giant was. The second week you wrote your new strategy. But this week I want you to just write over your giant, victory, or I will win or we will defeat you. This week, I want you to write something on your giant, something to the effect of, I, we, will win. And take the bread and take the cup back and remember that the God who created you is the God who will help you defeat the giant. Thank you.